We hope you are ready to start our service this morning. Because uh, we're not. <laughs> we didn't get much practice this morning, but that's okay. We're just going to train wreck our way through it. But we have a new song for you, and we hope you want to stand and learn it with us. It's called uh, Pride.
morning, you know that you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and you know that you are made to thrive. Amen? So let's go to the Lord together this morning. Father God, I thank you for these musicians behind us that come to lead us in, in worship of who you are and, and remind us that we were created to thrive through your Holy Spirit. You said that this world is a scary place, but to be of good cheer, for you have, have are victorious over the world. If we know you, then we are part of that victory. So God, I pray this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, if there's someone here today that does not know that victory, that they will make that decision right today, that they will choose life, that they will choose you as their Lord and Savior before they leave this place, Father God. Whomever they may be, may it be a song, may it be a word, may it be a sermon, whatever, but may they hear your voice in a way where they make a decision to follow you. And God, I pray the rest of us will open our hearts and our ears to what you have to say here today, and may we be able to leave this place not saying we just came to church, but we can leave this place saying that we were in the presence of the one who loved us the most. Father, may your will be done here this day, and I thank you and I praise you for who you are and what you are, and may you just pour out your blessings upon us. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. It's good seeing everybody this morning. Uh, just quickly, uh, uh, let you know that Farida's surgery went very well Friday. She's doing well, it, it, and she wished she could be here this morning. It's good to see the Martinez is back here with us this morning playing. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God for that as well. It's great to be in God's house. Amen. It's warm and it's dry, which is not what it is outside right now. But walk around a second, shake somebody's hand, give them a hug, and just tell them it's good to see them in God's house and and watch for what God's going to do today. Amen.
Thank you. Okay, guys. As we get back to our seats this morning, the bulletins are pretty much the same as last week for the most part because they're they're listing off all our Christmas activities that are coming up. The um, Sherry's not here today. She's visiting her sister in Houston, so she printed these for me yesterday. However, I, I don't see any change other than to remind everyone that the 17th is coming Saturday is our to- our toy run. That's when we'll actually be del- delivering the toys. Now, lo- people have asked me how we're doing on toys. Do we need more boy toys or girl toys? To be quite, excuse me, honest with you, Lou is the one who asked, and she's in Dallas. Um, she's visiting her sister and brother up in Dallas today. So I would, I would say if you can, text her after the service today, or I will try to find out, and you can text me later on if you're just trying to figure out should we get more boy or, or Rod, do you know? Don't know yet. So I, I don't have a good answer. I've been asked that three times today, and, and that's a great question. It is an awesome question. I just have no answer. Um, so I don't know. It, yeah, it looks like we need a lot of boy toys by me looking, but the Lord may have a lot of girls on the list. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I truly don't know. Um, I'm sorry, brother. One of each. Yeah, there you go. Silly me. Uh, you know, that's right. The Lord tells you to get one of each, or two of each, maybe even five of each. I don't know. Um, yes, sir. Okay. Okay. All right. So, so we are running a little light. I just can't tell you. Um, you know, in gender different in different games, such as toy uh, games like Monopoly or something, that kind of stuff as well. So, whatever the Lord lays on your heart, I just can't tell you exactly how that list is falling out as far as um, Lou would be the one to ask that question. We will be delivering Saturday. We'll come up and divvy them up on Sunday, uh, Friday. Saturday is the actual delivery. Then the 18th, after the morning service, is when we're going to have our Christmas party, as we always do. And then that evening, we'll go Christmas caroling. So I'll remind everybody about that. So Mark, next weekend's a big weekend here at the church. I Encourage you to think about being able to stay Sunday. You come up Saturday and deliver toys with us if you'd like. Um, and we'll just have a good time together. Um, and then Christmas Eve service will be coming up at 6 o'clock on that Friday, uh, Saturday evening on the 24th. Okay, well, that's enough announcements. Brother Brian has got our scripture reading for us this morning. Who's ever phone just went off? Thank you. You reminded me. Oh, I thought it was a phone. Santa's here? (laughs) Father God, I just come before you and just ask you to to lift up my brother, and I thank you for his willingness to come and open the word for us. And uh, God, I just thank you for being able to gather in your house this morning. May we hear you through him and bless his family for his willingness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, brother. Good morning, everybody. I wanted to talk today a little bit about the humbleness of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. you know, we, we think that's a really awesome thing, and it's true. Uh, he is the king. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Um, but 
he was born in a very, very humble circumstances. Um, these three wise men were looking for him. God had sent him a sign, a star to follow to, uh, to find Jesus. And they, uh, they came to King Herod, who was the king of the Jews, uh, to basically ask Herod if he knew where the king of kings was. <laughs> and Herod didn't like that very much. So he got all of these, huh? That's our sermon. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, you keep right on going. <laughs> he got all these, uh, um, yeah, I'm not really sorry, brother, but <laughs> that's just the way it goes, you know. <laughs> I'm lying if I say I'm sorry. But uh, he assembled uh, all these scribes and Pharisees together, uh, and um, he was asking them questions, all these scribes, uh, and uh wanting to know, you know, all all about him. So he assembled them, chief priests and scribes, and asked them where the Messiah would be born. And uh, that's where the humble part comes in. He says, in Bethlehem of Judea. Not a real big place, you know. And uh, this is, I'm in, if y'all want to follow along here, I'm in Matthew chapter 2, verse 5. Uh, in Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And then he goes on and quotes Micah here. says, uh, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Out of Bethlehem comes the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You know, uh, David came from Bethlehem too. Not this David, uh, King David came from Bethlehem. Um, uh, so Bethlehem being the tiny place it was, was really a big place through God and God's plan. And uh, that's God's style to use the humble. What, did, what was Jesus laid in when he was born? Manger. A manger, a feeding trough. And, you know, that way, nobody could really boast. No craftsman could boast and say, God chose my craftsmanship to lay the Savior in. No, a manger. Well, then uh, then Jesus grew up. Uh, I don't mean when, right after that, they went to Egypt so more scripture could be fulfilled, more prophecies could be fulfilled. Then they went back to Israel, wound up in, in um, Nazareth, and uh, that fulfilled more prophecy. But later on, when Jesus started his ministry, people would say, what good has come out of Nazareth when he was known as a Nazarene? What good has come out of Nazareth? So everything about him was humble. What I'm trying to say here is, you know, we come from a humble place. Sutherland Springs here is a humble little place, little place, three Baptist churches. <laughs> And not tiny churches, really. Three, am I right? Cowboy Fellowship, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, pretty awesome, if you if you ask me. But more so than that, me and you. Whatever tools we think we don't have, whatever abilities we think we're short on, God will use us. Look, look, look at how, what a humble upbringing he chose for the King of Kings. 
kings and the Lord of lords. He will use us in our humble upbringing. Uh, Even though it might not be that humble, we would think it's humble. God can use it for mighty, mighty things. Uh, Just keep that in mind this Christmas season. Be happy in whatever circumstances come along. And just be satisfied to know that the God of this universe has it all arranged to glorify him. If we'll let it and if we'll let him work through us because he will use us. Uh, Let's pray. Father God, thank you for letting us come to your house today, Lord. Uh, I pray that, um, that you will use each one of us, that you'll guide us, and that you'll help us to bring people closer to you, God. That you'll help us comfort those that need comforted, and you'll help us bless those that need blessed by you, God. Uh, use us, and do forgive us, Lord, when we do fall short of your perfect will. I pray that you bless this service today, God. Bless the music, bless the preaching, and bless the fellowship. And I pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thank you. First uh, lyrics of the song are, Water you turned into wine. You opened the eyes of the blind. He did much with little. He did much with stuff that we didn't think had much value. Our God is great. Amen.
back up there. Amen, amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Genesis. Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. Also, too, you can be turned over, over to Numbers 23. But Genesis 25 is the primary text this morning. <clears throat> Isaac, if you remember the story, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife, because she had been barren. And he was praying, Lord, that, 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 that God would bless her with children. Well, the Lord answered his prayers, and his wife, Rebecca became pregnant. Now, you may remember the, the story. 
Well, the, the text we're about to read, we're going to see the babies were, were jostling around. She had twins, and the babies were jostling and, and fighting within her, and, and she cries out, what in the world? What's going on within me? And she goes to the Lord, and she inquires, God, what, what's happening here? Why are, these boys, why are these babies fighting within me? In Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 21, Genesis chapter 25, verse 21. It says, I'll wait till they, they get it up there. Genesis 25, verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord heard his prayers, and his wife, Rebekah, conceived. But the children inside her struggled with each other. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And listen to what he says here. And the Lord said unto her, two nations are in your womb. Two people will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now, as we go into this this morning, this may seem like a, a strange scripture to, to break out with and, and start our, our Christmas season mes- messages with, I guess. But there's a, there's a reason to my madness, if you will. There's a reason why I wanted to point this out this morning. You see, the two babies that Rebecca was pregnant with, we, we've heard their names, we, we know who they are, but it was Jacob and Esau. These were the two that were struggling around within them. Jacob's descendants became who? The Israelites. They became the people that we know. But Esau's, who would be renamed Edom after selling his birthright, became the Edomites. So we have the Israelites and the Edomites. Now, you may be asking, why is that important? What what difference does that make? Why do I need to know that? Well, the Israelites and the Edomites became incredible enemies. They were already jostling around within the womb. But as time grew after they were born and they were raised and things happened, they became incredible enemies, fighting incredible battles, many battles, one with another. And the, the, the person that I want us to look at this morning, and Brian mentioned briefly a while ago as well, in the Christmas story today, is an Edomite. The person in the Christmas story that I want us to focus on just a little bit this morning was, a, was an Edomite, and an Edomite to the Israelites was a horrid, horrid thing. That was the devil himself, if you will. And this is Herod, Herod the Great. Now, when we think about Herod the Great, who was he? Just a, a quick history lesson here so we can kind of get our, our bearings on what's going on here in the Christmas story. Herod's father was... and. I practice saying this, Antipater, 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 there we go, Antipater, I had to look it up and say it a whole bunch of times to get it to where it was close. His father was Antipater, and and he was installed by Julius Caesar to come down and be the procreator of Judea, that he was going to take charge. Well, around 47 BC, Antipater, he he looked into his two kids and gave the two boys these ruling positions. Herod, or Herod the Great as we know him because he was the firstborn, became the governor of Judea. He was the, the, the top dog there. And he was very well known for being an incredibly ruthless fighter. He, he was a, a, a ruthless fighter. He was a cunning negotiator. He was a, a, a very subtle diplomat. He had that office down. He was somebody that could, he, he had the mind for politics, if you will. And in the midst of having that mind for politics, he was a a, a scrapper. He was, he was a fighter. He was a warrior as well. And he also established himself 
as an incredible builder. He, he loved to see these, these incredible projects going up. He undertook such thing as the Masada, uh, the rebuilding of the temple. And one I had to learn in college, in fact, we had an entire week put, put to, towards, was the Herodium. He had the, of course, it was named after him, but he had the Herodium built as well. So his mind was one of, of all these material things. He was a loyal friend and an ally of Rome. He was later appointed king, actually, over Judea by the Romans and put in control of all the Jews. This is the man that, that Brian was mentioning a while ago. This is Herod the Great. He, his mind is one of ruthlessness. His mind is one of, of political savvy. His mind is one of a warrior. His mind is, what can I build bigger and grander to, to put my name to? Now, as I said, one of the greatest structures that, that was built in that day was the Herodian. And it was, it was an incredible complex. It, and and it, it was powerful. It was a, a massive palace fortress. It was huge. And guess what? It was only five miles from Bethlehem. This place was, was incredible. And as I said, I had, we actually had to study it in a, in a history class. It's, it, to see the ruins there of it today is still massive. At the time, it was the third largest palace fortress that had ever been built. That's what Herod put together there, just five miles from Bethlehem. It was, it was, it was monstrous. It had a, an upper and a lower palace. It could, the palace itself, just the palace, comprised 45 acres. That's just the palace. It was 45 acres. It had two walls around it and a circular, that, circular, that went around the fortress with 15 foot between these walls. And that's where all the servants and all the, the maids and all his staff stayed. That's how much people he had serving that palace. There was four towers on each side of, of, of this palace as well. And on the east side, that tower was over 100 foot tall. Now, I'm sharing all this to let, I want you to visually imagine this incredible fortress, this palace, this palace fortress that he had built in his name, the Herodium, Herod, Herodian. And it was huge. It was massive. In fact, the entire complex was over 100 acres. It included a, they called it a swimming pool, but it was surrounded by a colonnade and, and a garden of all these exotic plants, and it was big enough that he and his friends could sail and row small boats on it. That's how big this swimming pool was. This was a huge, grandiose place. This was a, a monstrous place that could be seen for miles. It could be seen from Bethlehem. It was sitting on the hill with that 100-foot tower and these massive walls. It was just an absolute, it was beauty, beautiful, so I don't want to call it a monstrosity, but it was monstrous. It was incredibly large, and he had it built there. He had a 100 marble steps leading up to the palace, and then marble stones adorned everything. This place was incredible as far as materialistic ideals. It had everything that any king or ruler of the day would have had. This was where Herod the Great lived. This was his palace. And this palace fortress, as I said, could be seen for miles as a symbol of his greatness, of his power. That's why he made sure he had it built where everyone, all the Jewish people, all the Israelites could see, this is my house. As great as Herod was, with his building, as great as he was as a politician, as great as he was with, with, with being a warrior, there was something that was even bigger in him, and that was his tyranny. Here he builds this place, he's got all this going on, but what he's really known for, even more than his architectural things, even more than, than, than how good of a governor he was or how 
manipulative it was, was his actual tyranny, his paranoia. I shared a little bit last week. He, he had his wife murdered. He had his mother-in-law murdered. He had all his own male infants that could claim the throne at some point murdered. He made sure there was nobody that could come and claim the throne. He didn't, he didn't even want to take a chance on somebody coming up and saying that they were a greater king than he was. He used the sword and the cross, crucifixion, as, as powerful deterrence to the Jews. This is what the Jews were having to live under. This is the shadows that the Jews had to live under. The Jews had to look up to that incredible palace. They had to look to a man who, who was real quick to swing a sword. And when I say swing a sword, I'm saying send out his soldiers to do it, not just him. They had to look to this man as their king, this one that, that, that built this incredible place. He was a ruthless man. In fact, if we can read in the Gospels after the wise men came and spoke to him, he said, you know what, we'll just make sure we get them all. And he had his people. This is how ruthless he was. Go kill every Jewish child you can find under the, t- the age of two years old. Just go start slaying these babies. He didn't care. Didn't care at all. That was the setting for the birth of our Lord and Savior. As Brian pointed out, that was the setting for that little baby to be born in a manger. In Matthew chapter 2, it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the time of King Herod the Great. That was when he was born. This humble baby, as Brian pointed out, into that manger was in the time of of this powerful Edomite in the time of this powerful warlord, if you will, that built this palace, a fortress that, that all the Jews had to cower in the shadows of. To the Jews living in this time period, Esau and, and Edom were symbols of evil. If you had mentioned Esau or Edom, it, just, it was like if we today would talk about the devil. It, it just meant evil. Herod represented the power and the might of the greatest descendant of Esau. When they looked up to Herod, they thought that was the devil himself. Here is the devil himself that's wielding a sword, that's putting so many Christians to the cross, crucifying them. Here is a man that's built this incredible palace while we're starving, we're hungry, we're their slaves. Here is this incredibly evil Edomite sitting up on the mountaintop here. Yet that's where Jesus was born. That's where, it, with this evil king ruling over the, of all these Jews, the epitome of evil, if you will, was sitting in this palace fortress. In the shadow of that, in that little town of Bethlehem, about five miles away, Jesus was being born. Now, the Jewish people, they were familiar with prophecy. They knew their Old Testament. They heard the, the messages that had been brought about. They knew the prophecies and, the, and everything that was concerning the Messiah. In fact, if you turn to Numbers real quick, in Numbers chapter 24, in Numbers 24, verse 17 and 18, they would have known this verse. It says, I see him, but not now. I perceive him, but not near. A star will come from Jacob, and a scepter will arise from Israel. He will smash the foreheads of Moab and strike down all the Shethites. And then what? Edom will become a possession, and Syria will become a possession of its enemies, but Israel will be triumphant. They knew that prophecy. They're standing in the presence of, the, of an Edomite. They're standing in the presence of the greatest descendant of Esau there had been. They're standing in the shadow of the Herodium. They're standing in the presence of what they thought was the castle of Satan, if you will. The, the stronghold of evil sits right here. They knew this verse, but how hard would it be 
to grab a hold of a prophecy when you hadn't heard from the Lord in over 400 years. They haven't heard and seen the prophecies come to true, come, come true yet. But yet here was this prophecy that foretold of the Messiah that he would come in, he would conquer the Edomites, even the greatest Edomite that had ever been. But in their mind, how? And yet here's a little baby born in a manger in Bethlehem. This was a difficult time for the Jews. They had been conquered by the Romans. They had been beaten down. Their, one of their greatest enemies was their king. They lived in the presence of a palace that was something that none of them could have ever imagined. And the palace was the palace of, of, of evil. The evil and the sin in the world was all around them. So far, none of the prophecies concerning the Messiah had come to pass. They're just living in this evil time. And then all of a sudden, this baby is born in this manger. And the first people to hear the news wasn't warriors, it was shepherds. The ones that were looked down upon. The most humble, if you will, of the group. And it says the Bible, uh, the angels spoke to the, to the shepherds and they hurried to see the baby that the angels told them about. And they ran over there and they saw and they heard and they were told to go and spread this news, spread the good news that the Messiah has been born. And so they do, they go out there. But this had to be an incredibly difficult task for them. This had to be difficult news to try to share. The prophecies spoke of a Messiah that was going to come in and destroy and rule over the Edomites. This Messiah is going to come in and be able to take down that main person over there, that, that, that King Herod, the Edomite that's sitting in that palace, the Herodium, that we're sitting in the shadow of. So here is this... the. The, the most powerful man that descended of Esau sitting in this incredibly huge palace fortress. And you're going to tell me the little baby in the manger there is going to take care of that. This would have been hard to digest, would it not? It would have been hard to compute. The shepherds and the others that heard this news were being challenged, folks. They were being challenged. God was reaching them. They were being challenged to believe that what they saw here, that this, this, this small baby, this small boy, born in a barn, laid in a manger, born in a cave, however you want to put it, this, this little bitty baby, wasn't even born in an inn, that this little ba- bitty baby in this little bitty town of Bethlehem, laid out in, a, in this little bitty manger, was going to take out the greatest evil that completely surrounded them. That this little baby lying in this manger was more powerful than Herod and all his palaces. That this little baby was more powerful than Herod and all his soldiers. That this little baby was going to be more powerful than all the influences of that man. That Here in Bethlehem, they can look up and they see the tower five miles away. They can see the Herodium over there. And you're going to tell me this little child is going to take that on and take that out. You see, what God was doing at that time, he was telling them they must have faith. They had to have faith that God, in this small child, was king over all. That he was God, not Herod. Now this would have been huge. They were living life in the midst of this Herodium. They were living life in the midst of all the trials. They were living life with the chance of of crucifixion happening every day. Yet they were asked to believe that this little child was going to bring hope. They were asked to believe that the birth of this little bitty boy was going to show that evil had not won, that, that God was in control despite everything they could see around them. Folks, I submit to you this morning, that takes an incredible amount of faith. 
When that baby was born and the shepherds said the Messiah has been born, he lies in a manger in little bitty Bethlehem out there. The first thing that people are going to do is look up at the Herodium over there and know who lives inside of that. It would have taken tremendous faith. Wherever they looked, they saw the influence of Herod. Wherever they looked, they saw the influence of Rome. It was either Rome or Herod or both. They saw the Herodium. They, 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 they see all that ugly. Looking from the manger up, they could see the ugly. And yet God said, have faith that my God, that this child is greater. They knew the prophecy. But like Ted pointed out in Sunday school this morning, sometimes knowing the prophecy here is different than having the faith of believing it here. I think oftentimes we know what the Word of God says, but we don't put it in action here. This was a huge challenge that God issued these folks. Evil seemed to surround them absolutely everywhere. And and the thought would be, how could this vulnerable little child in this cave, lying in this manger, be greater than that mountainous palace fortress over there? How can this child be greater than King Herod, the Edomite? But yet, he was. That's exactly what he was. This baby lying in that manger was king of kings, lord of lords. There would, there, there would be victory over all the evil in the world because of that child. But the challenge was issued. Those shepherds, they had to take that, they had to believe and believe it well enough to go and share that message and bring that message around. It was a challenge, but praise God, there were some, there were many who did not, but there were those who did believe, and we are here today because of it. They were challenged in the midst of looking up there at that mountain, in the midst of looking at the Herodium, in the midst of knowing how awful that Edomite was, that the epitome of evil lived in that evil palace right there. But they had enough faith to say, this child is going to be victorious because my God said so. That was the challenge that was issued to them. And I would submit to you this morning, not just this Christmas season, but all the time, that challenge is given to us as well. We face the same challenge that those shepherds face in the midst of all the evil that surrounds us. I think every one of us can stop and and think of the evil in this world, whether it be the criminals, the, the, the entertainment industry, the pornography, the illegal drugs, the terrorists, the political powers that be. There's so many things we can look to and see so much evil. We need to stop and believe and remember that Christ is still King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and no matter how big and grandiose their buildings may seem on this earth, my God's umbrella is bigger. We need to have the faith that the shepherds had that day when they looked up at the Herodium over there, when they looked at the roads that were lined with the crosses of their brothers and sisters being crucified. They had to look at the evil and all that was around them and have faith and to say, this is the Messiah. Folks, I would submit to you this morning that, yes, we live in a world that looks like it's a dark and dying place. But God said, do not be surprised. In fact, be of good cheer, for I've already come and conquered the world. When we realize and we believe that baby is no longer lying in the manger, he sits at the right hand of God the Father. And no matter how mighty the evil may seem, my God is bigger. Then we've answered the challenge. Then we've answered the challenge. He may not have a Herodium sitting here on this earth. But he is bigger than all of that. Why do I know that? Because we see it right here. We've read the book. 
We know how it ends. We win. Jesus wins. He don't, in fact, he, hasn't, he doesn't win. He's won. He's already won the battle, folks. He's already shown that death, hell, nor the grave could hold him back. That even though Satan manipulated and thought that he had it all going on, we need to believe in our Lord and our Savior because just as those shepherds believed then and just as those apostles who was having a hard time believing, they saw that he, that he defeated it all. That there was no one, nothing, no, nor entity that was created that could hold him back. Death, hell, and the grave couldn't even contain him. He is the power. Yes, he was born in a humble man- manger. He didn't need a Herodium. He didn't need all these slaves and staff to be kept out amongst these walls because he was God. Christ is, was, and will forever be victorious. We do not need to fear the evil that surrounds us because Jesus reigns, folks. Jesus is still on the throne. I know there's folks that that sit all day long. I know one comes to mind. Their TV stays on all day, whether they're eating or whatever, and it's sitting on Fox News. And there's people I know that do that with CNN. There's people that do it with other news channels as well. And they just listen to these talking heads all day, repeating the same stories over and over. And they allow the evil of the world to beat them down and, and feel as though that that there's nothing they can do. Folks, I will tell you that well, this morning that he, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he who abides and lives within you is greater than he who is of this world. And as long as I realize that, as long as I understand that I have victory and I know it through the promises and the prophecies of this word, when I have victory living within me through Jesus Christ, I don't care how big a, a world leader is. My God is bigger. And I don't need anybody on TV to tell me that because my God's already told me. I don't need some news broadcaster telling me I'm wrong. I don't care what he says. My God says otherwise. My God is big. My God is great. In fact, I remember Brother Rowan, he says he's large and in charge. As followers of Jesus Christ, we must believe and we must stay committed to him. Praise God that a couple thousand years ago, 12 ragtag Fishermen, tax collectors, everyday people put their faith in God, align themselves with Jesus Christ with the greatest power in the universe, and they turn the world upside down. Folks, I would submit to you this morning, as Brian pointed out, you may be in Little Sutherland Springs in the middle of nowhere. There's going to be folks in New York City and Washington, D.C. or Sacramento, California or, or Los Angeles, and they'll say, what is that Little, little Sutherland Springs down there in, in Texas? They may say that, but let me tell you this morning, when God looks down, he can look at his people and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Those are my children right there. When we, succumb, when we surrender ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ, the, the world that may seem overwhelming will all of a sudden be put back in perspective. For when I submit myself to the Lord Jesus Christ, he moves within me, and I realize the world is just his footstool. I am his soldier. I am on his winning side. I am a joint heir and an adopted son of Christ. I can go every day. And the problems I encounter don't seem so big and out of control anymore because I know my God's in charge. I may not know all the answers. Lord knows I don't. I may not be able to to put all the pieces together and realize and figure out how God's going to do things, I can't do that. 
but I can do it knowing I can step, take one day at a time, one step at a time knowing my God does. The evil that exists, folks, seems to be so strong, and we wonder how we're ever going to fight it. We wonder how in the world can me out here in the middle of nowhere ever make a difference. But when we commit ourselves to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords, when we tap into the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ, I promise you, we can and we will make a difference. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Just as that child that was lying in that manger, the people were looking up the Herodium. But you know what happened when the wise men came? They bowed down and gave him gifts. They worshipped him. We need to remember that no matter how bleak and, and dim and how evil the world may seem around us, no matter how loud the terrorists yell and the, and the, and the, the news people yell and all the stuff around us, we need to remember the devil is not in control. The Jews of the day, they could look up at the Herodium and they'd say, Herod is in control. He only had the power that God allowed him to have. And when that baby was born, how can that baby defeat that Edomite? Because that baby was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And there was nothing on this earth that was bigger. We have to believe that if we're going to make a difference in this world. If you truly want to be what God's called you to be, then you have to stop and you have to realize, my God is bigger. Whatever the world throws at me, my God is bigger. You know, Herod, he left behind those towers, those palaces. He left behind all those marble stones, all the monuments. I, I have seen, I wish I could say I've been there, but I've seen lots of pictures. But you know what, guys? Today they're in ruins. As mighty and as massive and as beautiful as the Herodium must have been in its day, now it's just a reminder of the past. Broken down, weeds, animals running all around. I can see that it probably was a really cool structure at some point. Well, it still is cool to me, but, but it, it's just ruins. Ruins of the past. Jesus, as far as I know, he didn't leave behind one stone that could be overturned. He he didn't build those monuments. We don't know exactly even where he was born. We know the city, but we don't, we don't know exactly where he was born. We don't even know exactly where he grew up or exactly where he died. I know that we can go and visit, oh, this is where the, the stone rolled away. They don't know that for sure. We don't know exactly. There was no ruins left behind stating with an arrow, this is where Jesus laid down. Yet in his glory and his power, his majesty lives on. He didn't erect these big Herodiums. He left living stones. He didn't need a building to show how powerful he was. Because he was all powerful, he said, believe in me. You are the stones. Those shepherds then and everyone who has believed ever since, we are the stones of his church. We are the building of his church. It's not this building, praise God, he's given us this to come and worship together in, but this building is nothing but brick, I mean, excuse me, wood and sheetrock and, and shingles. The church is every living stone that comes together and is bonded together through the glue and the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. We are the church, and I would submit to you this morning that the church is greater than he who is of this world. This Christmas season, 
we need to remember what the prophecy said there in Genesis. It may seem like the Edomites are winning. It may seem like that those who fight against God's people are winning. It may seem like the devil is in control. The more you watch the news and, and look at the political unrest, the military, the, 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 the wars that are going on, it may look like the devil is winning. And if you remember the Passion of the Christ, when Mel, the Mel Gibson movie, the devil was kind of doing a little dance when Jesus died on that cross because he thought he was winning too. But three days later, he had a rude awakening. And I would submit to you that there's going to be another rude awakening for him. For the end days, it says that he'll be thrown into the fiery pit. The decision this morning is yours. Will you accept the challenge? Will you believe that Jesus Christ, whom it's easy to look around you and see the evil. It's not as easy to see God. It is if you really are tuned to him. But it's not like there's a sign pointing with a, a neon light saying, here's God. You have to let the Holy Spirit within you direct you. Will you accept the challenge that was given to the shepherds and now is given to us? That, that my God, Jesus Christ, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, is bigger than the evils of this world. If you will accept that challenge, then you shall be victorious. But it's yours to, make, to accept the challenge or not. It's one thing to have the knowledge here. Many of the, uh, probably most of the Israelites had the prophecies memorized. They had the knowledge, but they didn't have the heart faith to accept the knowledge. Where are you this morning? You may say, oh yeah, I know Jesus was in a manger and he's the child of God. Do you know that? Or do you put your faith in that? That's the difference. That's the difference. Where is your faith this morning? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm not asking do you know who he is. I'm not asking you to tell me the Christmas story. Do you know him with the faith of being able to walk out of here saying, if I was to die today, I know in whom I have believed and where I shall spend eternity. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, praise God. But if you don't, now's the time to make that decision right. And as we leave this place and we go our separate ways and we go into this Christmas season, and it's so easy to get caught up, especially with all the the news about the, the Trump's transition team and Putin and all this stuff. It's easy to get caught up in the ways of the world and the woes and the concerns of the world. I'm not saying we close our eyes and turn our backs to it. We need to be, we, we need to be educated. We need to know what's going on around us. But we need to know that my God's still in control. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, praise God. Have you given him your fears? your cares, your concerns, because that's what matters. That baby in the manger that first Christmas morning, the day he was born, the very day he was born and wrapped in the swaddling clothes and laid in that manger, that very first day he was born, he was still greater than the one that lived in the Herodian and will forever be. But isn't it great he's not a baby in a manger any longer? He is Lord of Lords, King of Kings, set to one day return 
And it says, In the blood upon his thigh, Lord of lords, King of kings. And those who are called by his name shall be in coming behind him. Are you one of those? That's the question this morning. Have you put your faith in the challenge of accepting that he is bigger than the evils of this world? Praise God, the shepherds did and they spread the message. If you believe it, now you share the message. Tell others. No matter what the newscasts may say, my God is bigger. He's on the throne. And he loves us. Now, if you don't know Jesus, your Lord and Savior, as I said a while ago, he's reaching to you. All you have to do is accept him. None of us are worthy. But he chose to die for us anyway. Will you accept him as your Lord today? Let's all stand. I want to lead us in a word of prayer. They're going to come up, the musicians are going to come up in a moment and they're going to be playing. And I know it's going to bless our hearts whoever they're playing, but I ask you this. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'd prefer you not to listen to what they're playing, but just open your heart to God today. If you do know him as your Lord and Savior, but you're you're so afraid of what's going on in this world that I would, I would ask you to stop and pray to God for strength, direction. For a spirit of fear is not of the Lord, for God's still in control and we can be victorious. We can have the joy of the Lord within our hearts. Sure, the world may capture our body, but if our faith and our heart is in the hands of God, the world can't touch us. Where are you this morning? Father God, I come before you, and I just thank you for this opportunity we have to open your word. I thank you for the promise that you gave way back there in Genesis. Way back there, letting us know that even though they were warring, you already figured out who was going to win and who was going to submit to the other. And you said your people, the Israelites, would rule. God, thank you that you said that you would... uh, Allow us to be joint heirs to the throne if we would just accept the sacrifice that was paid for us. For the wages of sin was death, but you chose to die in our stead. Thank you, Father, and I pray that this challenge that you've issued forth to the shepherds and also to us, we will heed and take to the world outside and let them know that you are God. Father, may your will be done in the hearts of your people this day. And may may your name be glorified. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. This altar will be open. I'll pray with you. The evil around us may seem huge, guys, but it's not bigger than our God. Do you know him? Are you afraid by what the world is saying? If so, give it to Christ today. Give it over to him and just sit back and say, I don't understand it all, but he does. He does as we sing this morning.